Okay, so welcome to RUF. Um, if you've been with us all semester, you know we're doing a series on relationships. And uh, we're calling it Relationships Reimagined. And basically what we're doing is we were kind of shifting for the last, we actually only have two more RUFs um, this semester, which is kind of crazy. We have tonight, we're, we're gone next week for voting, um, and then we're back on the 15th uh, for our last kind of regular RUF. Then Thanksgiving, and then the 29th is what we call Lessons and Carols, where we sort of celebrate uh, Advent. And um, so it's pretty crazy. But for our last two, we're shifting away from thinking about the ways that we relate to God and each other. And we're actually shifting to part of the way we do relationships is the way that we relate to people, not just people, but places and things, institutions included. So tonight we're going to talk about work and rest. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about pop culture and how we relate to that. And so it's kind of fun just to shift gears a little bit from the heaviness sometimes of thinking about are, you know, people, like sometimes I think Jesus gave us pets uh, because people are so hard sometimes, and so it's nice to kind of shift away from thinking about our relationship with each other, and let's shift and think about our relationship with places and things, and tonight we're thinking about the way we relate to work and rest, and the way I want to do that is I want to read a passage from Genesis, uh, Genesis, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. And I'm going to read it for us. Uh, it's from the ESV, and here's what the author says. Uh, Genesis 1, starting verse 28. You've got it in your handout. This is uh, God in the sixth day, finishing his work of creation. It says, And God blessed them. God said to them, Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant, yielding seed, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps in the earth, uh, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the, earth were, and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into this passage tonight. Let's pray first. Uh, Lord, again, we thank, you that, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you tell us um, that it is from you. Um, that it is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. Lord, that it really that it is a double-edged sword that cuts us through and through, cuts us to our hearts, cuts us to our souls. Lord, we thank you that your word is meant um, to humble us and uplift us. Lord, you give it to us that we might know you, but you give it to us, again, we pray every week that we might know ourselves. Lord, as we come to think about our relationship with work and rest, would you show us your relationship with work and rest? And as those made in your image, would you show us what it means for you to be redeeming our relationship with work and rest tonight? Um, meet us in the places where we're struggling. Meet us in the places where we are blind. Uh, meet us in the places where we don't see our need for Jesus. Meet us in the places where we've maybe even lost hope that Jesus could love us. Would you meet us in all these places and be a God unto us and be our Redeemer? And we pray these things in, in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so the, I want to just dive right in by saying why, part of why I wanted to go back to Genesis was to show you that when we come to think about the idea of work and rest, part of what we have to acknowledge from the get-go that's really, really important is that the idea of work and rest are woven into creation. Part of why we went back to Genesis is to show you that from the beginning of time, the ideas of work and rest are not just these ideas that we kind of think about. It's actually woven into the very fabric of our existence, that work... that. 
that work and rest are two crucial parts of what it means to be made in God's image. That if we don't learn how to work well, if we don't learn how to rest well, we'll never be the right image bearers of God that we've been called to be. And so all I want to do tonight is think about um, these two things. But if we're being honest, our relationship with work and rest is really, really dysfunctional. There are some of you here that are so overworked and under rest because you are so determined to get the perfect GPA that you think is going to get you the right job, that you think is going to get you the right kind of family, the right kind of wife or husband, that's going to get you the right kind of life that you've always wanted or you kind of, it's in the waters of what your family has taught you to want or what your culture has taught you to want. Some of you don't know how to rest and it's sinful. And then there are others of us uh, on the other end of the spectrum where we underwork and overrest, where we really have skipped maybe multiple classes in a row for no good reason other than we felt kind of tired. We didn't want to get out of bed. We just wanted to watch that sixth episode. You know the one where like Netflix asks you, it's like Netflix is asking you, are you sure you want to keep watching? And you're like, shut up, Netflix. Yes, keep, let's keep watching. And so I struggle on that end. But we all struggle. On, none of us does work and rest perfectly. If we're being honest, like all of us struggle on one end of the spectrum. Either we overwork or we overrest. And God is saying he's come here tonight to, to tell us through his word that we've got to repent and learn how to work and rest in his image. So let's first, I want to think about first, our work, our relationship with work. Second, our relationship with rest. And then lastly, briefly, I want to think about uh, how do you keep the right balance. So first, let's think just for a little bit about our relationship with work. And what I want to do in each point is just talk about what it's not first and then talk about what it is. So first, what it's not. Here's the first thing work is not, that we often think. Work is not a curse. For a lot of us, when we think about work, we go back to the fall, and we hear God say, your work of the ground is going to be hard, it's going to be thorns and thistles to you, and we see work as this kind of curse, that work is this painful part of our existence that we really don't like, that's always going to be hard, that we're going to work, work, work until we die, basically, and it's this curse that we have to bear But what's interesting in this passage is that work existed, it predated the fall. That Adam and Eve, in this most beautiful way, before the fall, were working the garden, exercising dominion with God, with God's blessing. And and their work was not just a blessing to the world and to the garden around them, but their work was a blessing to them. Um, this is like if you're, I don't know if you're, I mean, if you think about it, some of you, this is your image of what you want marriage to be, where you're sort of doing the Wendell Berry thing, and you're like, own a farm that's just a little bit out of the city, and you're working the garden, and you've got your chickens, and you've got, you know, you're, you're living off the land, and you're wearing your jeans, they're just the right amount of dirty as you work the soil, and this is like Adam and Eve's existence. This is what they were doing, and enjoying work, the blessing of work. It's not a curse, the other thing we have to remember is that work is most likely going to be part of the new heavens and new earth. You know, I, was just, I just went out to California and did a conference for the guy that used to be here, Britton Wood, um, who's now at RUF Stanford. And we were talking about this really interesting idea that part of what we're made for is that we have these bodies. <laughs> this is going to sound weird. We have these bodies that do stuff. And part of what's happened in our culture is we've missed that like sometimes... In ancient cultures, we would have worked with these bodies, and we would have seen that work as rewarding and good. And what's happened for you and I is we don't have as much physical work, and so we kind of have these bodies, and what do we do with them? But we're missing something, and Britain was just making the point that we have these bodies that are meant to do stuff, and it's a really good thing. And God made us with these bodies, and these are, these are the bodies we're going to have in heaven. Heaven's not going to be like Hillsong on repeat, where we're just existing soullessly, or I mean bodilessly, just kind of singing whatever. If you like Hillsong, great. If you don't... <laughs> I mean, great, um, where we're just, we're working, we're going to have most likely some kind of jobs, or we're going to, 
you know, contribute to the, to the glory of, and the fellowship of the community. So it's not a curse. And then second, and lastly, it's not a necessary evil or means to an end. Uh, in other words, work isn't just something to tolerate. Work isn't just a means for you to get money. Everybody is not, unlike one of the most classic rock songs of all time, working for the weekend. There is more work than the weekend. There is more work than just a necessary evil or a means to an end. Um, but that's often how we think of it. And this is why I, where I like to ask the question, like, why are you at USC? And if you were to just step back and answer that question, honestly, part of what you would say is I came to college because to get the kind of job I want to get, I have to have a college degree, and maybe even more. And the reason I want the kind of job that I want is so I can provide the kind of life that I want, the lifestyle that I want, that will attract the kind of wife or husband that I want, that will buy me the kind of house and the right kind of neighborhood that I would like, that will buy me the right kind of vacation and the right places that I would love, that will start contributing to the retirement that I'm really working for uh, that I would like, that will buy me the right kind of friends, that will buy me the right kind of hobbies. And if we're being honest, this is what we reduce work to. This is where Office Space, uh, Mike Judge's movie, was way ahead of its time and kind of saying like the misery that sometimes when we lose the meaningfulness of work and why we work, we get, if we're, being, if we're thinking, we get really, really depressed. And you think about Office Space where he's so depressed in that corporate world working in that cubicle, he and his friends, for no good reason other than to make money and keep his girlfriend, that they get so bored that all they do the Ponzi scheme thing, and it gets really hilarious from there. Uh, but there's an emptiness and a meaninglessness. Why? Because they've missed the meaning of work. So what is work? And this is where we start to get a little theological, that work is actually says something really, really important about God. That work first is a reflection about who God is. We work because God works. The beautiful part of our passage is God has been working day after day for six days, and he gets to the end of every day, and he says, this is so good, I love it. And we are, what, our, what work is, is we are actually reflecting something that's true about God. And what's beautiful about God's work is, if you think about it, he's both blue-collar, God gets his hands dirty, he gets his hands in the soil, but he's also, well, he's not afraid of blue-collar work, but he's also not afraid of white-collar work. He's not afraid to manage and oversee and, and, and make plans and organize. There's blue-collar work and there's white-collar work with God. This is why Jesus, I love this quote from Planning Guy. He says, Jesus, was a, Jesus worked for the kingdom as a carpenter before he was a rabbi. And he's redeeming both blue-collar work and white-collar work. So we're reflecting something true about God, we're, but we're also, secondly, we're joining God in his work. This is what you have to understand. If, if your work is going to be infused with meaning, you have to understand that what work is fundamentally is you are jo- God has invited you to collaborate him, with him to build this thing called the kingdom. To build this thing that he has been building for a long, long time. And he invites us into what we simply call the making of all things new. And what happens typically for Christians, what happens in our circles is we reduce that part of what it means to join God in his work to evangelism to like sharing the gospel. And we don't understand how to work and join God with our work and his work other than working in a job where we just simply sneak attack the gospel all the time. And can I just say, don't do that. The gospel is a beautiful thing and evangelism is a beautiful thing because part of God making all things new is he's making people like me and you and our friends and our coworkers new as well. But you have to understand that his work is bigger than that. 
He's about the building of a kingdom that's going to be eternal, that is bigger than, than people. It involves revitalizing entire communities. They're going to exist together in the new heavens and new earth in this beautiful way. Um, so maybe let's ask the question, all right, so I'm with you. So my work is supposed to be meaningful as I join God in his work, which is bigger than just sharing the gospel at work. How in the world do I know what kind of work is good for me? Uh, which, which major should I do? Which career should I take? Which career path? What should I do with my life? And let me just say a couple things, really two things, I think, to these questions that are like really, really pertinent and good questions. Uh, number one is ask the right questions. Whenever you come to think about, all right, what should my major be? What should my career be? We have to start with, are you asking the right questions? The wrong question would be, how much money will this make me? Right? Like the way that we typically like to do it is, let me think about Jesus. If you will just give me a, like a good paying job, then I will give so much money to the church. That's kind of how we would like to justify it. Uh, this is funny because it's not funny to my wife, but my wife literally was voted most likely. She won't mind me sharing this. She was voted in high school most likely to marry rich, and then she married a pastor. She married a pastor, but she didn't know I was going to be a pastor until we were engaged. And I was like, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to seminary," and she just saw all the dreams crumbling down before her in marrying me. And it's been hard. I mean, it's been part of that's part of marriage and God's calling for us. It's been hard for her. But here are the right questions. Again, Alvin uh, Cornelius Plantinga in his book, Engaging God's World, he's got this gold quote that's on your handout. I'm going to read it for us. Here's what he says. He says, to strive first for the kingdom in choosing a career, a Christian will ask himself particular questions. And here they are. Where in the kingdom does God want me to work? Where are the needs great? Where are the workers few? Where are the temptations manageable? With whom should I work? How honest is the work I'm thinking of doing? How necessary and how healthy are the goods or services I would help provide? How smoothly could I combine my proposed career with being a spouse, if that's also my calling, or a parent, or a faithful child of aging parents? I had a real moment a couple years ago where I'd gotten Twitter famous, which is a whole long story, and I was like talking to some of these comics about leaving ministry for comedy. <laughs> and I wish I'd read this quote because when I said that to Alyssa, like, hey, I think I'm going to leave ministry and pursue this comedy career, she was like, bleat no. What are you thinking? Like, you could never support a family doing stand-up comedy. This is a helpful quote. Um, uh, how close would I be to a church in which I could give and take nourishment? Is my pro- proposed career inside a system so corrupt that even with the best intentions, I would end up absorbing a lot more evil than I conquer? You should go watch The Big Short. Placing emphasis where Jesus placed it. This is the question we don't want to ask. A prime citizen will add another question. What would my career do for the least of these? And these are the questions. If you want to begin asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? These are the questions you begin asking. But then second, the other thing you've got to realize is that God cares much more about adverbs than he does nouns. Here's what I mean by that. God cares far more about how you're doing, what you're doing, than what you're doing. We, we, want, we love nouns. We want to be defined by nouns. This is why when you get my age, the reason that I don't like going to parties is the question that is asked when you first meet somebody is what? What do you do? And for me, that's awkward because to try to explain the life of a campus minister is a little bit weird when I'm like, I kind of hang out with students and then like preach to students and they're like, they pretend like they know what's happening, but internally I feel really, really judged because they have no category for what I'm doing. But why do we ask, why do we ask what do you do instead of 
How are you doing? God cares far more about adverbs. He cares far more about <laughs> how you are doing your job than what job you are doing. He cares far more about how you are investing in your community than where you live. And this is the, que- this is the hard question for you and for me. Is thinking about that God cares far more about not where you live, but how you're living in that place. Will University of South Carolina be a better place because you live here? Will the city of Columbia be a better place because you live here? And these are the kind of questions that God is, is reorienting us to ask. And the reality is these are much more freeing questions because then we get away from all that weird God's will, eight magic eight ball kind of stuff, like, Lord, show me what to do with my life. And we have the clear commands of, actually, I've shown you what to do with your life. Follow Jesus in the place, in the words of Debo Sweeney, you've got to bloom where you're planted, which is a horrible quote, but a beautiful quote. You've got to take root and blossom in the place where you are, which is exactly, it's really, really freeing. Because what it means for you is you take the next step and you do the next right thing and you trust Jesus with your future, which is actually the hard part. We don't trust Jesus with our future. And we focus on that instead of actually serving and following Jesus where we are. So first, our relationship with work. But then let's think for a little bit about our relationship with rest. Again, when it's not what it is. So first, rest. Because a lot of you, like, this is, like, you're, you're the type A person, and you, like, you've kind of got work down. Like, work to you, you feel pretty good. You're, you've got your to-do list, and if I, we were to pull out tonight, your to-do list would be checked, and it would be really annoying for all of us type B or type C people and just soul-crushing to see the way that you just work through a list and get, get things done. And your problem is you don't know how to rest. And this is the first thing we've got to say is we don't really value rest. Like, we kind of think rest is like, okay, yeah, really work is more godly, but rest is really, are we really going to say it's godly? Are we really going to say like you can't love Jesus if you're not resting? Are we really going to say that you can't love Jesus if you're working too hard? Because that's exactly what God shows us in Genesis. So first, let's think what it's not, because this might help us. First, what it's not. Number one, it's not an escape. Rest, there's a difference between rest and numbing or avoiding the things, the hard things in my life that I don't want to face. This is a constant struggle for me. I had a friend put it to me one way, one time, where he said, the question I have to ask myself when I'm watching, when I'm doing something that I love, for me, that can often be, eating something that I love, or watching something that I love. He said, the question I've got to ask myself is, is this rest, or am I numbing? And if I'm being honest, a lot of times when I'm at the movies, or if I'm like at Wendy's, it's not because I'm resting, it's because I'm numbing. And then there are some times where it really is because I'm resting and I'm taking care of myself. Uh, so it's, it's not an escape. Second, it's not unimportant. Can I do a double negative? It's not unimportant. Again, we think work. So it's Thanksgiving, and man, if you're like me, I'm already starting to think, I'm a real food lover, starting to think about the spread. I'm going to Atlanta with a big part of my family, and we're going to celebrate. We're all cooking. My aunt's going to fry a turkey, and we're going to cook the sides, and I already know the side that I'm doing. So corn and and jalapeno casserole that's just with cream cheese, just killer. It's really, really killer. And I'm just thinking about, but you think about part of Thanksgiving, if you're a food person, is the gravy. And it's funny how we think about gravy is I think sometimes, you know, we think about the meat as the thing and the gravy is optional. And I think that's sometimes how we think about work or rest. Like work is the meat and potatoes or meat and whatever your veggies are. And, and rest is kind of the gravy where it's like, it's nice if it's there or it's like the crayon sauce. 
It's nice if it's there, but it's not like it's optional. Like it's kind of okay if it's not there. And that's, I think, culturally how it, that we have grown up thinking about rest. And yet, if work is joining God in his work, then what rest is, is we're actually beginning to enjoy with God what he enjoys. And this is the pattern of creation. God is working, making, producing. It's beautiful. And then he gets to the seventh day. And here's the thing you know. You've heard this probably. If you haven't heard this, this is huge. God, Why does God rest? It's, he's God. It's not because he's tired. Scripture says he never, never sleeps or slumbers. It's not because he's, like, bored. It's not because he needs a break. Instead, it's because he's beginning to enjoy the fruit of his labor. He's enjoying his creation. It's like, it's like he's waking up. Can we just say it this way? It's like he's waking up in the mountains. He's got that fresh cup of coffee, and he's just walking out. And he's just, he's just enjoying the beauty and the grandeur of his creation. I love the way that this guy, Planiga, my man, Planiga, says it. He talks about how sometimes we, and if you, I'm not a fish person, but he's like a lot of us, we're, we're fish people. We'll get the fish tank, and we'll put all kinds of fish in the tank. And he said, have you ever thought that God has countless, endless numbers of seas that are full of countless numbers of fish that he daily takes joy in? And we could go on. We could talk about butterflies. We could talk about azaleas. We could talk about dogs. We could talk about cats. We could talk about elephants. We could talk about... There's, there's an endless amount of things that God just simply gets to enjoy, and he's inviting us to come rest in our enjoyment of his enjoyment of those things. Um, this is Mary and Martha in Luke 10. Because this is the question for you and for me. Are you doing that? Are you joining God and enjoying what he enjoys? Are you joining God and you're in resting with him? You know the Mary and Martha story. Martha is slaving away in the kitchen. Remember the story in Luke 10? Mary and Martha with Jesus. Martha is, is working her tail off. Why? Because she's still trying to prove herself to Jesus. She's still trying to show the world why they should love her. She's still trying to show the world what's, what, why she's worthy of love. And then here's Mary. And Mary is simply what? Resting at Jesus' feet. And she's enjoying just being in his presence. And she's enjoying listening to him. She's enjoying talking to him. And it's not that she's not going to work or that she's not working. Jesus says she chose a better portion because she got that part of what it means to join and worship Jesus is to rest in him. Um, the way that I love to think about it, uh, there's this guy, Jared Wilson, who has this illustration that I love. As he thinks about it, there's a scene in the movie Annie that I really love where, if you remember the story, she's lived a hard knock life for a long time, and uh, she finally gets adopted by Daddy Warbucks. And you remember the scene, if you've never seen it, it's on Netflix, or if you remember the scene where she's brought into Daddy Warbucks' house for the first time, and she's with the hostess of the house, and the hostess says, as she comes in, she's, she says, Annie, what would you like to do today? And Annie misunderstands the question, and she says, well, I guess I'll start with mopping the floors, then I'll probably get to uh, washing the windows. And the hostess stops her and says, no, no, Annie. What I mean is, how would you like to enjoy your father's house today? How would you like to enjoy your father's riches today? And the question for you is, is are you enjoying your father's house today? Are you resting in the father's love for you today? Are you finding joy and and peace and and rest and knowing that you belong to him and his house, he is yours and his house is yours 
And let's just talk for a second. Well, how do you begin to find the right balance then? How do you begin to hold these two in tension? Well, here's just a couple of things, a couple of four thoughts I have for you. Here's number one. You have to see both work and rest as worship. Both work, you worship, we worship God in our work and we worship God in our rest. Uh, I love the way that G.K. Chesterton said it. He talked about this tension of, of enjoying God as, as uh, worship, resting in God as worship. He said this, he said, you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera and grace before the play and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. We call that active resting, where you're enjoying the things that God has gifted you in. But then two, it takes work to rest well. Part of how you begin to rest well is you have to do two things. Number one, you have to understand yourself. What is restful to you? I remember having this conversation with a student where we talked, I'm a nat, like I love Rest for me is a two to a two to four before it gets into sleep territory, but a two to four hour nap after I've eaten something great and watched something great, that is my love language. Like one time, a friend in Columbia, she knew my wife and I well, and we had moved, just moved to town, and she invited us over for lunch. And then afterwards, it's the most beautiful. I think this was like Jesus. If I've ever had a, a personal encounter with Jesus, this is the moment where she said, literally, Sammy, I'm taking the kids to the playground. Uh, I want you to go take a nap on that couch. And it was this b- big, beautiful, like, pottery barn couch. And I was, like, I mean, in shock that she said this. And she's like, Alyssa, I want you to go to Target. And in both of those moments, we were, like, loved so well. Because both of those things are restful to us. My wife's an active wrestler. She doesn't like naps. Maybe you don't either. Um, it takes work to wrestle. You have to know yourself. But you also have to guard, you have to guard your schedule. Like, this is true for you. This is true for you now. It's going to be true for you as you get in into the more of the regular working world where you have to find and guard the time to do self-care. You have to find and guard the time to take a day off and to be present with the people that you love. <clears throat> it takes work to rest well, but then thirdly, we could say it takes rest to work well. Specifically, we could say physically we get, like it takes, you know, like you're, you're going to do far better in an exam like, we're having this conversation with my son where he, like, wants to skip breakfast now. We, we do that thing where it's like, science says, which we don't know if science says, but we're saying it anyways. Your parents did that, too. So, you, what's real? What's not real? We don't know. But what I said was, you know, he doesn't like to eat breakfast. And we're like, son, you're not treating your body with care, and you're not going to do as well on tests. And sure enough, he's brought home a couple of bad grades, and we're in this conversation. Physical rest we get, but it also takes spiritual rest. You're never going to stop trying to prove yourself unless you know how radically accepted you are as you are in Jesus. You're never going to stop auditioning for the love of the world unless you are absolutely sure that Jesus already loves you and his love is enough for you and his love is the only love that matters. You begin, there's a a song, an old hymn by Joseph Proctor, and he says this, Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete." It is finished. It is finished. What more could you ever do? When you begin to rest in the work of Jesus on your behalf, you can begin to work in ways that are productive because of the pressure to prove yourself or to be somebody is off. And that's the last thing I want you to see is you have to see how all of your work and rest are related to Jesus. Uh, I'll end with this. So you remember the story of Jacob and, Jacob and Rachel in the Bible and it's a weird story because here's Jacob, and he goes to work for Laban, Rachel, and Leah's dad. And because he, he's fallen head over heels for Rachel, 
And he says, I, it's worth it to work for seven years. Laban makes him the promise. If you work for me for seven years, I will give my daughter to you in marriage. And, and Jacob says, absolutely. So you remember the story, Laban, he works for seven years. Laban does him dirty, gives him Leah the night before, and says, ah, sorry about that. If you want Rachel, you've got to work for seven more years. And do you remember, there's a, a, a verse that says, and those seven years were, at, were nothing to him because he was so, he loved Rachel so much that he was willing to endure that work for her, to rest with her. And Tim Keller in this beautiful way says, there's a, a verse in Hebrews 12 that says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising his shame. And what was the joy? The joy was you, and the joy was me. You, you are, we are the Rachel of Jesus. We are Jesus' Rachel. Where Jesus works, he, he endures life in a fallen world, and he endures the painful death on a cross. Why? Because of the, the thought of resting with you forever. Because of the thought of, of, of having you for his own. And when you begin to see that, we begin to make sense of, of the promise of Jesus. When he says, all who are heavy laden and weary, come find rest in me. I'm the rest your restless heart's been looking for. Come find rest tonight in me. Let's pray together. Jesus, would you help us to find that rest? We thank you for your invitation that we can come to you knowing that you're the one who has loved us and worked for us, that you might make us your own. Would uh, you melt our hearts by the gospel? Um, Would you change us by the gospel? Would you change the way that we sinfully relate to work and the ways that we sinfully relate to rest? And would you make us whole as those who work with you and rest with you? We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen.